I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit AbyssBattery.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to TetheredNation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to TetheredNation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From a Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Spartan Forge. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 295. Today, we're talking with Jace Allen about killing bucks in October in his three buck season. So stay tuned. is up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you are doing well hope you are feeling fine and prepping making your final preparations i say final preparations because i'm getting my season kicked off here i think it's t minus from today i think it's 28 days until i fly to idaho uh so man it is coming up super quick i with the bummer was i guess a couple weeks ago i had mentioned you know i had uh, sustained an injury and had been kind of coming back from that. And prior to that, I was making some really good progress, getting some rucking in. 
packing around some weight and uh, was feeling pretty good getting, you know, as far as my legs were concerned and stuff like that. My cardio really comes from the jujitsu live rolling and stuff like that. I get plenty of cardio from that, but kind of getting the legs, you know, ready to roll um, was doing some rucking and I was really kind of, I had, I had a nice pace, I guess we should say, uh, where I wasn't killing myself, but I felt like I was making really good progress. And by the time I was getting ready to leave, I would have been uh, good to go, but injury set in, had a little bit of a setback. And so finally today I got up, I've been doing some light rucking, like around the house and stuff like that. Not a lot of elevation changes, me basically making sure I wasn't going to re-injure my, my ribs by carrying, uh, carrying around a bunch of weight. And so today was actually the, the first time getting back to being in the woods, uh, taking on some elevation, hiking through the woods, stepping over logs, uneven terrain, getting those, you know, those small ankle and foot muscles that you really don't ever use unless you're in the woods you know, using, uh, uneven terrain. So I was doing that today, put a couple miles in, uh, with a 50 pound ruck. So, uh, felt really good. You know, legs felt good. Didn't feel like I lost a whole lot. Um, so got another, got another, you know, four weeks to kind of finalize everything and, and make sure that I'm tip top and, and ready to go. But with that, we're not going to belabor this up front today. Do have one thing to pass on to you guys that I want a uh, giveaway announcement. So we're going to do a giveaway. I don't very often do these, probably don't do these often enough. But you guys are super rad, and I appreciate, you know, the fact that you guys have been listening to this podcast for as many years as you have. We're going into year number seven, I think, and I don't usually make a big deal. I think the anniversary was the beginning of June. I usually don't make a big deal about these things, uh, but want to make sure that I show my appreciation for the fact that you guys kind of stick with me through all these years and all these different episodes. So we're going to do a tethered giveaway, and I want to look at my text message just to make sure that I know exactly what we're uh, exactly what we're going to be uh, giving away. So here's the plan. We are going to do a menace saddle in all the ropes and carabiners to one lucky winner. So you'll have essentially a saddle kit set up that you'll be able to, um, you know, have all your ropes, carabiners and be able to go hunt this year uh, using a saddle. So in order to get in for the drawing to win this, I'm only going to ask you to do one thing, uh, head to iTunes and leave a rating so you're actually going to have to leave a, a rating. So you're going to have to actually type in a comment like Clint's awesome or this show sucks or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, but going to need to le- uh, ask you to leave a rating and a response in iTunes. It'd be awesome if it was five stars. It'd be super helpful for me. But whenever you do that, make sure the name that is going to show up in the rating that you leave is the same name or a searchable name that I can use to find you on Instagram so I can announce the winner, draw a winner at random, and then be able to get a hold of you on Instagram to make sure to let you know that you've won. If you use Joe Mama123 and your name is Frank Rizzo, and I look up Joe Mama123 on Instagram and it's not there, it doesn't come up as Frank Rizzo, you lose. You're not gonna get you're not gonna get the uh, the, the tethered kit. So make sure whatever name you use, go to iTunes. Leave your rating. Make sure the name that you use for that is searchable in Instagram. And I will get a hold of you and uh, send you along a tethered kit to get you started uh, along your your saddle endeavor. So with that, one more thing, just really quick. I, I know I'd mentioned in the past, you guys, uh, our buddies Exodus have the, uh, the the Velvet Fest thing going on right now, which is kind of their uh, official kind of start of the, of, the, of the deer season. They help you get, get you rolling with all your scouting by getting your cameras out in the timber and making sure that you're kind of picking up all those velvet bucks. So now through August 19th, they'll have some killer prizes for anyone who uses the hashtag velvet fest. 
uh, and social media, you know, sharing, you know, your whitetail experiences, tagging any of the, uh, the velvet inventory that you have. Also, if you're in the market for a trail camera, Velvet Fest is the perfect opportunity to get ready for the season. They're going to be sending out exclusive savings in their email newsletter uh, throughout this campaign. So make sure you head over to exodusoutdoorgear.com and sign up for that to make sure you get all those opportunities. But to get things started, they're doing a 20% uh, savings on any multiple Exodus render or render bundle for the first 100 orders. Use the code VELVETFEST to lock in these awesome summer savings. Every single camera order comes with a random prize card. I've been told that those include some pretty kick-ass things, including the MMT tailored arrows that they just recently launched this summer. So at, over the last seven years, you guys know I've been using the Exodus trail cameras because they just flat out work. Um, best trail camera warranty period. And every single camera is backed with a five-year warranty that even comes with a theft and damage policy. That's right. Half a decade and you're covered by the Exodus five-year warranty, but you probably won't need it because their cameras are already built to last. I've got a bunch in the timber. They've been running since the inception, since the first year I started working with these guys. As I mentioned, they also launched the Exodus MMT Arrow this summer. Uh, it's a tailored arrow built to your specific specifications using nothing but the best components. Head to their website and use their 3D builder and experience the best shooting hunting arrows available. I was actually just out flinging some arrows, getting ready for my Idaho hunt and dropping bombs from 53 yards in the backyard. So be sure to take part in Velvet Fest celebration and tag your social channel or tag the Exodus channel. Uh, because they're going to want to check out what you guys have going on this summer. So with that, today's episode, we are talking with Jace Allen. Jace is from Missouri and had a hell of a season last year. Killed three hammer bucks, two in Missouri, and then one late season on public in Illinois. Uh, the, the thing is, is, you know, Jace is, a. Uh, He's a younger fella for you know, when I say younger fella, I'm you know younger younger than me, but he just gets it, man. Um, you know he's laying down hammers uh, on on the regular. Uh, he has a very mobile kind of approach to the way he hunts, as I'm sure a lot of you do. A lot of people who listen to the show, that's kind of our our style. But he also has kind of a laid back kind of approach to where he does a lot of observing from kind of afar, and and he'll pick apart pick you know kind of quadrants apart in an area and kind of go in and 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 kind of try to extract a, a deer for a specific deer that he's looking for from uh, from an area. A lot of this stuff for him happens in the month of October where he can kind of uh, make a plan, work a plan on a, on a deer um, without it, you know, without starting to get to that phase of, you know, not quite sure, you know, what these deer might be doing whenever, when rut kind of rolls along. So awesome conversation with Jace. Actually, as we were talking, he was in Colorado, Colorado for his birthday, glassing up some, uh, some elk and some muleys. So happy birthday to him. And uh, we'll go ahead and jump into the show. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on a fella from the Midwest. I learned of this this guy from uh, checking some stuff out online, and he has some some mutual friends. I guess we have we have some mutual friends. And I just kind of started scrolling through some stuff and was watching his approach. And he's he's a grinder, gets after it. And uh, had a hell of a year last year, and I was like, "Man, I got to have this dude on." I have none other than Mr. Jace Allen. What's going on, man? What's up, man? I'm doing good, man. I just wrap up another day at work in the salt mines, and uh, looking forward to talking a little bit of deer about you. Also excited that hunting season seems to be drawing closer, man. So pretty stoked about that. Yeah, man. It it is. It's getting close. It's just right here around the around the corner. That's right, man. So, uh, hey, I, before we get started, dude, uh, happy birthday. I think you uh, have a have a birthday right about now, don't you, or close to it? Yeah, it was, uh, I don't even know what day of the week it is, but it was uh, Friday. 
Nice. Probably was my, my birthday. I'm 27 years old, getting up there, man. Yeah, getting up there, you know, about ready to start having to take your Geritol and doing all that kind of stuff, you know, stretching in the morning right. when, you get, <laughs> when you get out of bed. <laughs> nice. So, I, I man, I, for your, did you take a trip out west for your for your birthday? I saw you had some uh, on Instagram. You were you were showing some glassing up some bulls and stuff. Where where are you at right now? Well, right now I am sitting by Grand Lake here in Colorado. Um, I am, I'm staring up at the mountains, but yeah, that's, that's usually what I like to do on my, on my birthday other than, you know, deer stuff is I like to come out West and, um, get up to some higher elevation and, you know, glass and bulls and some mule deer bucks and, and catch some trout. And, uh, and we've been doing that. It's been, it's been fun here the last couple of days. I got a couple more days here left. Hopefully I can catch some bigger fish, but, uh, we'll see. Man, that sounds like a that sounds like a pretty good birthday to me, man. A little troutin', a little bullin', a little a, a little mulein. Sounds pretty good. Yes, sir. Doing it right. Nice. Are you uh, are you headed out west this uh this fall? Or I am I am not. I think the furthest west I might go is Nebraska for whitetails. Okay. Um not planning on doing any like western big game hunting this year. No. I have I have once before in the past, but I uh, I'm gonna try to zone in on the whitetails here this year. Yeah, it's uh I made a trip west uh, it's several years ago, and it was it was great, it was awesome, uh, but I hadn't had a chance to get back out since for just whatever whatever reason. I mean, it became a little harder. You know, the place I was going in Montana, where I have a buddy of mine, it uh, it was no longer a really easy kind of over the counter tag to get any longer, um, which made it a little bit more, a little bit more challenging. Um, I ended up by kind of luck this year drawing, um, Idaho. That was just a lottery. I just, you know, happened to get in line and you know where I wanted to go have a buddy and his area usually isn't super sought after. So I was able to get a, get a tag and so I'm headed out there in a, in a couple of weeks. So not going to lie, man, I saw you posting some velvet bulls and I might've got a little jacked up, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's actually, I've got a couple people jacked up. They're like, Oh man, you're, you're going to go hunt out this fall. It's like, no, I'm just looking. <laughs> yeah. No, just window shopping, window shopping. Just window shopping. Right. Yeah. My buddy, uh, who, li- I'm, uh, who lives in Idaho, he was actually just out this past weekend. Um, you know, it's always nice when you have a buddy that lives in the area because he's kind of out scouting, you know, spending time in the woods. We've, he's hung some mm-hmm. trail campers and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's, it's nice for us flatlanders that are headed out, out west when we can't be out there all the time. Um, you know, right. kind of do the dirty work. So it's always nice to have a good friend that's willing to do that, you know, and, and kind of <laughs> help get you, you know, at least help set the, the crew up. It's just him and I. So it's just the two of us. At least right. that set us up for hopefully being in bulls, you know, or at least in elk, right. you know what I mean? Hearing mm-hmm. some bugling and being able to do some chasing, but there was one from last year that he saw. So he was last year was the first year he lived out there. So he couldn't hunt cause he was a non-resident. And gotcha. so he just spent a lot of time in the timber, just going along, calling for people, um, you know, tagging along with people and stuff like that. And, uh, he would go out on his own every so often just to kind of just watch kind of, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because I was talking to him. He said he learned a lot more last year about hunting, not carrying a weapon and just being mm-hmm. a, an observer than he had probably any in any one year that he's carried a weapon, if you can believe that. I love that because I'm actually – that's going to be one of my points to uh, this last season that I had. Yeah. It's actually, that's actually really interesting. Yeah. He just said like his growth of just like being able to spend a whole year 
observing without the pressure of having to release an arrow or fire a bullet or whatever the case was, was yeah. just, you know, he's, he's like, I would have never thought it, you know, if someone would have told me that he's like, but because I had to go through it, you know, he was like, it just, you know, he's like, I feel like I upped my game. And uh, so mm-hmm. anyway, long story short was, is he went in and actually found a bull um, or a couple bulls and one really nice one last year that yeah. he actually tried to get his buddy on um, and he couldn't get a shot. And um, it's this particular area that he thought that they were bed in there. And I think he found some beds and stuff like that. And so when I, when he knew I was coming out, you know, he was going to hunt there regardless whether I was coming out or not. And he was just kind of like, man, I know that bull's still in there. I'm going to try to see if I can find where he's at over the summer. Cause if he's in there, he was big last year, this year, he's going to be a hammer. Right. So, you know, he hung some truck hammers and stuff like that. And, uh, this past weekend, he finally went back in there to that area. Cause he was just doing some scouting, seeing what things were looking like. He had a couple more cameras that he wanted to hang. And wouldn't you know it, he got right in and around that bedding area. And guess who he saw? <laughs> <laughs> that, the hammer. And he said he is like, he was like, dude, he's big. He was like, <laughs> he's like, I'm not, he's, he's like, I'm not an elk expert. He was like, uh, you know, but that's, that's a, that's a big elk. So, right. So, yeah, so uh, we have a spot not too far from there that we're actually setting up our spike camp. Um, we'll kind of circle around, you know, and come up the, the backside of the opposite ridge and kind of be able to camp kind of up above uh, one of the drainages that that bull's using. So we're c- going to be close and we should be able to hear bugling from the spot where we're going to camp so we can kind of make a play in the morning because we're kind of on top of this ridge in between a couple different drainages. So, mm-hmm. so that's the plan, man. If you, if you can't tell, I'm jacked. <laughs> it sounds like it, man. It sounds like you got sickness, dude. I do. It's like I got finally got all my gear. You know, it's like I'm I'm ready to go. It's like I'm in. I'm just I'm counting down the days. But uh, yeah. man, before I get off on on more elk tangents, dude. You know, for for the guy or for the for the people out there listening that maybe don't know who you are, or haven't haven't followed along with you. If you wouldn't mind, just give everyone a little bit of a Cliff Notes version about who you are, where you're from, what you do for a living, and and, and things of that nature. Sure. So. My name is Jace Allen. I'm originally from Bonterre, Missouri. Um, I'm 27 years old as of a couple days ago. Um, as far as what I do for a living, that's that's kind of interesting right now because I'm kind of in between a couple things because I had a I had the you know old nine to five job and I really really wanted to put put forth the time you know into into whitetails or as much as I, you know, as much as I want to. And so I left that, I left that nine to five job and it's kind of left me in an odd spot here. Um, as far as what exactly I do for a living, (laughs) Um, I'm just kind of figuring out, man. I mean, you know, my main goal is I want to be out there, you know, hunting whitetails as, as much as I can. Um, let's see, growing up, um, I hunted in a little more like hill country, um, like the Missouri Ozarks, mm-hmm. um, is where I, is where I grew up hunting. Um, pretty fortunate. It was a pretty, pretty big piece of private land, um, that I was, that I was able to hunt, you know, the guy, he ran cows there as well. But, uh, but that's kind of where I cut my teeth on, on hunting was <clears throat> in some, in some hill country, you know, hunting some uh, you know, acorn fed deer, you know, um, hung with my dad and my, and my brother during that time. Right. I was going to ask, man, like how, how did you get started? It sounds like you were kind of in a family, you're just kind of born into, born into hunting. And did you, was it kind of, uh, 
just a natural progression to pick up a bow or was there like a moment where you were like, ah, I'm going to bow hunt? Well, it was always, so it was always both. Um, so we like, you know, my, my dad growing up, you know, we'd, we'd always have the, uh, you know, the deer camp during, you know, Missouri's rifle season, Mm -hmm. but, uh, we'd, we'd get up there and, and get after it after, you know, with, with a bow as well. Um, Sorry, I'd, well, can you rephrase your question? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. So, did, I mean, how did how did you how did you start hunting? Because I know a lot of folks. You know, for me, for example, in Pennsylvania, it's big hunting heritage state, right? So, you know, I start off with my dad. You know, shooting all kinds of squirrels, and I mean, I, I was a terror on on blackbirds with my BB gun when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it was just kind of a my growing my growing up hunting was a very kind of classic uh, Pennsylvania. 12 year old boy who's going to get into hunting, you know, that was kind of my, you know, how I was brought up in it. it there wasn't ever a question. It was like, when you're old enough to, you're going to be doing it. It wasn't like whether or not I had an interest in it or not. It was just kind of a birthright to a degree. Right. I mean, my dad didn't really press me, you know, super hard to go out, but you know, he always left it up to me to decide whether I wanted to go out. And I never said no. Um, mm-hmm even like before I couldn't walk, like I would, I would go out, you know, in the, in the field with, with my dad and he'd just carry me on his shoulders. Right. Um, so that's kind of how I got my, how I got my start in, in hunting. And I hunted with my dad up until I was, uh, 15 years old. And then, uh, he kind of, you know, set me out and set me out on my own. Um, there was a couple there's a couple years there where I was transitioning, you know, from high school into college. Um, you know, I, I still hunted during that time, kind of had some, you know, other, other interests, you know, intermingled there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, let's see, it was like 2017. Um, I was, or maybe early, earlier than that. Um, I went out and I started hunting, um, new public land, you know, properties on my own mm-hmm. for so, the first time. So, sure. Yeah. So I want to, I, I want to talk to you about that, that a little bit, cause I'm always curious what, um, the reason that people kind of seek out the, I guess the public experience, if you will, right. Cause it's very in vogue now. Right. It, and, right. and, and, and I think sometimes, I don't want to say it gets a bad rap. Like in Pennsylvania, it gets a bad rap because people say there's no deer on public land, which isn't true. Um, you know, but it also has like this bad kind of hipster rap now, if if you will, in the hunting community, right? Because a lot of a lot of folks are doing it, and so I'm always interested in what kind of you know compelled someone to, um, you know, to jump in uh, jump into public. My rationale was, you know, our family property was three plus hours from my house, and if I wanted to hunt as often as I wanted to hunt then I had to strike out on public. And if I wanted to not be limited by property lines in the same way that I would be limited on, you know, the family farm or whatever that I needed to go out on public. And that was kind of my rationale. So I'm just curious what, you know, what yours was. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of, kind of along the same lines. I mean, you know, I, I, I'd moved away a couple hours from home. And so that property that, you know, grew up hunting, you know, it was, it was hours away, you know, somewhere where I couldn't, you know, hunt it efficiently anymore anyways. Right. So I started there, um, and I just started going out and all I had was myself at a recurve and, you know, quiver full arrows. Mm -hmm. And that's how, 
that that's how I got my start in public land hunting. <laughs> Man, that, there's no harder way than that, dude. Like I'm going out on my own trying to figure this thing out, and I got a recurve with a quiver right. full of arrows. You know, it's like yeah. so. How how successful were you with the recurve early on? Not, not, <laughs> not, not at all, dude. There was so many freaking deer that that I missed, and I mean, you you take so like the whole recurve thing, like you go from uh, hunting in the Missouri Ozarks where I, where I was hunting, and usually whenever you have a deer come in, you're dealing with you know a single deer, mm-hmm. and then you move to where I moved, which has a higher deer population. And all of a sudden, you know, you're hunting off the ground and you have to beat multiple deer, mm-hmm. you know, before it's the deer that you want to shoot. I mean, that just made, made things so much harder. And then you had to actually hit them, which I was really bad at. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, um, yeah it's uh, that whole hunting from the ground bit, man. It's, it's hard. But I, I would have to imagine, man, that there was – a lot of really valuable lessons during that time where it was just, it seemed like you were screwing up hunt after hunt. Like I got to imagine there was a lot of things that you took away from those, those particular hunts. Well, it was kind of what, what you were talking about earlier with your, with your buddy that was, you know, up in Idaho and he spent just a whole year out there scouting. Um, because I wasn't very successful. I spent a ton of time out in the woods Mm -hmm. and, because things are so particular, you know, when you're, whenever you're up close and, you know, personal to these, to these animals on the ground, I really, really had a, a good feel of kind of like the, you know, when to move, when not to move, um, you know, what's a, you know, how, how close is too close, you know, how, how to get close to animals. Right. Um, I would not take those there was three years that I hunted with a recurve. Um, I would not take those years back for, for anything because honestly I spent a ton of time out in the woods and I learned a bunch during that time. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the old saying, man. It's like, there's only one way to get good at, good at anything. And that's just to to continually do it. Right. And I think a lot of times, you know, we look for this piece of gear or, you know, this, you know, whatever it is, gadget, you know, and think that all of a sudden we're going to see our success rate increase. And the reality is, is that it's just, you know, uh, time in tree or time, you know, in observation, you know, time in country, you know, that's really, Uh really what it comes down to. So, so when you moved away, you got your recurve in hand, you're venturing out on this public and stuff like that. And, And I'm not sure, do you live close to that area now, or have you changed areas completely again? Nope. I am still right there. Still right in that general area. So what, what's that terrain look like? Cause I know you mentioned, you know, growing up, it was more like the Ozarks and Hill country and stuff like that, low deer density. And so where Mm. you live now, what does the terrain look like that you, that you're usually hunting? Man, you can, you can get into anything you want to around me. There's uh, wide open river bottoms, you know, cottonwood trees. Um, There's the same kind of hill country that I was, you know, hunting back home there's hill country and crops mixed in, you know, on different properties. And then there's, um, you know, there's old strip pit mines that are just absolutely riddled with autumn olive. You can't even see five feet in front of your face. So it's whatever you want to get into in the area that I've kind of settled into. And I, I think that's why I really, really like it. Right. Do you have a preference of one over the other or do you, do you find, 
uh, I don't want to say one easier than the other to, to hunt, but I guess, let me just ask it this way. Do you, do you prefer one over the other? Or do you find yourself gravitating to one type of kind of, uh, terrain or, you know, environment than, than the other? You know, kind of not really. I mean, the, the Hills is, you know, where, you know, where I grew up, that's where I feel, you know, comfortable. I understand the wind, how, you know, how all that works in there. Um, I guess it would depend on the, on the time of the year, mm. um, for me. Right. And so like, yeah, so I was just like, gonna, I was just gonna I'm, ask you to explain that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I'm, if I'm looking at like early season, I'm looking at, you know, a percentage, you know, basis of, you know, how easy is, is it to get it? How we, yeah. Sorry. Words. Words yeah. are hard, man. Yeah, they are, <laughs> man. I, I get you, man. They're, they're usually hard for me too. Right. So like if I were to try to go to the hills, you know, close by where I, where I live, if I were to go in there in September, I would feel less confident that I'm going to find a buck on an early season pattern rather than if I go somewhere and I have a soybean field. Um, the, the crops makes things very, very easy because it's like, okay, I know where this deer is feeding, you know, most likely. And that's, you know, a lot of the battle. If I go to the hills in early season, I'm like, and I don't know this for, for sure, but it's just like, okay, there's a million white oak trees out here and I need to find the one that he's feeding on. If you can do that, great. But it just, it's not as efficient in, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. No, that, that, that totally makes sense. Cause that's a lot of what I'm typically up against around me lo- locally or even whenever I right. travel to Northern PA, it's, it's a lot of big woods with not a lot of agriculture around. I mean, there'll be, you know, I might have one or two spots where I've got a little bit of ag. And when I say a little bit of ag, you know, it might be, you know, close to a mile away as the crow flies, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, roughly from a corner of a public piece that I can hunt, you know what I mean? Like a back mm-hmm. corner of a public piece that I can hunt. And, and that would be yeah. about the, about the closest. And you're right. I mean, it's, you know, I have to kind of rely on a, a lot of times, you know, I, I guess I kind of, I'm a, a little bit fortunate to where my season comes in mid September. So if I can right. find something that's consistently, let's say hitting a camera, you know, like the week prior mm-hmm. and it's in a, and he's daylighting or something like that. And, uh, you know, and the season comes in, I usually know that I can, I'll maybe have like a week before he transitions. Right. You know, and then after that, it's exact, you know, after that, it's, it's, it's exactly what you said, which is, all right, well, where's the white oak that's dropping? Oh, it's, there's a hundred of them. Cool. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so where, the, where are the deer at? You know, and then it becomes, you know, as you know, whack-a-mole of just scouting and trying to find where the signs laid down in, you know, in relationship to where the, the hot food source might be. Right. For sure. Yeah. So you know, growing up in the hills, you know, and transitioning to where you where you live now, to where you know you just kind of have a bunch of a bunch of everything, uh, you know, essentially. How mm. how would you kind of I guess describe your hunting hunting style? I mean, do you feel like you're are you super aggressive? Are you you know not gr- aggressive and you kind of nip away at the edges to start? Or you know what what does that look like when you whenever hunting season starts for for you? Are you you know, if you know of something, you know, that's living somewhere, are you all in, you know, one sit and I'm going to try to kill him or do you kind of play the, play the cool game? 
Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. So I guess I'll practice it with, I mean, I have to like whenever season comes, comes around, like, you know, there's a certain amount of information that you need, like in order to make a aggressive move, Mm -hmm. you know, on on a deer. And I, in, in Missouri on MDC land, you know, state land, you know, we, we can't use trail cameras and I, I never did use trail cameras growing up. So let's see, I'll back up like two seasons to kind of answer that question. Um, so in like a, you know, 365, you know, day year, you know, white, white tail guy, I'm not saying I'm that guy, but, um, like going out and in spring scouting, let's say I run across, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, like big hammered beds and I'm just like, I'm just like, oh man, you know, I've, I've really, you know, got it, got it found here. You know, I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm, you know, looking at the sign, I'm like, uh, yeah, he's probably here in September. Cool. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to get in here, you know, September the 15th and, you know, kill him. Um, that went horribly for me the first, the first year that I, that I tried it. (laughs) So I guess you could say my style, um, last year changed to I'm still going to do all that spring scouting, but whenever season starts, I am going to go and very aggressively scout um, a lot of the areas that looked good. Um, Now, whether that be, whether that be, you know, glassing, you know, from a distance or, you know, boots on the ground, um, I'm going to go in and I'm going to, get that information that that I need in order to make an aggressive move. And then beyond that, like I am I'm not really one to, you know, pick around at the edges and mm-hmm. stuff. If it's if I like if I see something, I'm gonna pounce. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's a situation like this buck I killed last September, even if it's something like that where the first time I'm in, that's the only chance I'm gonna get. And then those deer in that area are gone. You know, I'm, I'm fine with that. Right. Um, but it's getting, see, I'm sorry. I'm kind of losing my train of thought That's all right. here. That's all right. Yeah. So, um, so it, it sounds like, it sounds like your approach now has changed a slightly to where yeah. you're going in instead of that first hunt necessarily, you're going in and validating what you saw in your spring scouting to, to to kind of confirm, like, let's say, for example, as a scenario, you go in and you spring scout, like you'd mentioned, you say, Hey, I see this sign. This looks good. I like it. It looks like it's September sign. 
instead of saying, hey, I'm going to come in and make an aggressive move and try to kill that thing right at the beginning of September, I'm going right. to come in, I'm going to scout this area, knowing full well that I, you know, I'm going to lay down some scent and whatever, but I need to come in here and make sure that this spot is what I thought it was whenever I was spring scouting. Is that kind of, is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Okay. And then from there you're like, all right, now I'm ready. I'm, I'm, if I get one crack, I get one crack and that's just, it, it is what it is. But now I know that this is the spot where I, this is the spot within the spot that if it's going to happen here, it's going to happen at this spot. Right. I mean, it's, you know, keeping as close to, you know, being relevant with your, um, information as you can, you know, at trail cameras, they, they do that. You know, right. they give you very relevant information. Um, and hunting on, you know, and I'm saying this because I did this for a whole season, um, hunting on information that you, that is, you know, eight months old or whatever is basically, you know, to me, it's completely irrelevant irre- information. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's outdated at that point. It's a nice piece to have just to, to right. kind of know, you know, it, it's a, I guess, how do I say it? It's a part of the puzzle, but it's certainly not the biggest piece of the puzzle, I guess, is the one way to, is one way to, one way to say it. Right. Um, so I'm curious, man, when you, when you, when you find these pieces of, of public or whatever, and say it's, maybe it's a new, a new piece to you or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. how are you, how are you qualifying it to make sure that, you know, it's an area that, that, you know, so maybe from the map, it's interested you, you're like, man, this looks interesting. Right. And then what's your next step after, after that? I mean, you, you, are you just diving in spring scouting? What type of sign do you need to see that tells you that, yeah, this is a spot I do need to come back in September and recheck? You know, it's, I, I'm kind of struggling with that one. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how I'm doing it this year mm-hmm. um, or, or how I'm going to attempt to go about this season here. So this is exactly what I'm running into. It's a brand new property. Um, I stepped on it, you know, this spring for the, for the first time. Um, honestly, the, the, if I'm just like hitting on sign or like what I need, what I need to see there. Um, it's not, it's not really like what you would expect. Like the amount of like, like say big rubs or big scrapes are, are basically non-existent there. Mm. So what I'm doing is that there's crops on this property. So I'm, I was like, all right, I already have it in my head that, you know, I'm going to be in, in here in you know September. That, that, that's what I'm shooting for anyways. Right. So for this whole property, I kind of sectioned it off into, into quadrants and I scouted the entire thing and anything of interest, I, you know, mar- marked on a map. So what I did next is the summer starting, you know, June the 15th, I started going out there and summer glassing. And I laid that over what I already knew in the springtime because, you know, there's a, there's a certain kind of deer that I'm looking for. And it's like, you can look at a rub and it's like, to me, it's like, well, I can't tell if this deer is, you know, 120 inch seven year old six pointer or, you know, something that's, you know, 170 inches. Right. You know, you, you, you don't know. So I need to go out there and I, and I need to see those kind of things. So what I've been doing is I'm going out there in the summertime, you know, now, well, not right now, I'm out West, but, um, so I'm going out there now, I'm seeing exactly what kind of animals are there. And in general, 
what what area of this property they're they're in and i've done that spring scouting so i think i have a general idea of where they're going to be but i'm so now i know that the kind of animal that i want is there or in this case is actually a specific animal i want is there right and now whenever september 15th hits i'm going to go in there and i'm still going to do my normal thing mm-hmm. i'm going to i'm going to I'm going to go in there. I'm going to scout. I'm going to find where he is and, you know, I'm going to get after him. Right. And so it sounds like whenever you, when you kind of build those, those quadrants, right. Mm-hmm. Like you're kind of identifying the places obviously where you're seeing, you know, sign that looks like, uh, could be huntable sign. Right. And, right. And then when you're doing your glassing, you know, when you say you overlay that with, you know, those, those quadrants, it sounds like you're looking at it from the perspective of when I glass this deer, where does he come out into this bean field in relationship to any one of these quadrants and what, based on my scouting, what do I think the travel corridors might be to and or from? So what quadrant is he actually more likely, you know, using than maybe, maybe the other ones? Is that, is that correct? Yeah, kind of. Um, Let's let's see. So, is, is it a little bit more well, mad scientist than that? I imagine you with like a beautiful mind, like with like pins <laughs> on a board and like yarn everywhere. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not quite like like that. So, uh, <laughs> so I'll back up again to last summer. So last summer, I did that. So I found a deer, and I found him like July the sixth or something like that. And I watched this deer religiously for like months, you know, or or at least a good solid, you know, month and a half. You know, I was like, I was like, all right, I've done my spring scouting here. You know, he's coming out of this, you know, this corner of this field, you know, here, here we are July the 15th. And, you know, I've got him on a pattern. Mm -hmm. And then what I figured out what happened, well, what happened was, is he just straight up and just left. Right. So... (laughs) Um, so I'm not trying to do that now that, that information, it can be relevant come September 15th, but it isn't necessarily. So what I'm looking for is I'm looking for just a proof of life. Mm. I just need to know that he's there. Right. And if he is in that quadrant that I'm thinking, then I, then I'm thinking I know about where, where I need to start, you know, come come season. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it does. Cause like you're, you're kind of saying, Hey, if I'm going to put it in layman's terms for myself, if he's a homebody, I got a real good beat on him. If he, if he transitions, I at least know, I think where he's been laying, where he has laid down sign in the past. And I have at least a place from which to start to see if I can't relocate him. Right. Is that kind of, yeah. and, And I guess I'll, I kind of get into this deer a little bit more that the reason I say that, like, I, I think I know where he's going to be at. So in this, in this one quadrant that I'm hunting, that's like 500 acres. Mm-hmm. And between me and my, me and my buddies over, over the years, we have really, really learned that big mature whitetails, they love to bed in CRP, mm-hmm. um, you know, early season grass. Yep. So in this 500 acre quadrant, there is only one field in there that's CRP, and uh, I am 
very confident that 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 that's where he's going to be. I might have a little information from a friend that you know bumped him up last year as well. So there's there's right. that information too, which is very helpful. Yeah, but that that's why I, that's why I say it's like you know I I know you know where I'm where I'm going to start looking for him. Right. Yeah. I mean, you got to have yeah. It, it's you got to have multiple pieces of the puzzle and that's kind of what you're, what you've gathered, you know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. let's see in lieu of being able to use trail cameras because right. It, you know, a buddy see, bumping him out of a CRP patch somewhere is just as good as having a tra- trail camera somewhere that you, you know, know that he's been, you know, here on these dates or whatever yeah. the case is, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, that, yeah. See, so I, when I hunted Missouri, I hunted a lot of river bottom, some, mm-hmm. hill, some hill country, Yep. And the last place I went was just like this swampy, gnarly kind of area that, that was kind of surrounded by CRP uh-huh. and that stuff, that place was dynamite. Like the other yeah. two was like hit or miss. That place was, was slamming. And then I went to Kansas this past year and I mean, there's a, I don't know, man. Big bucks like where there aren't trees. I'm I'm convinced of it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's like if there's not a, if there's not a tree in sight, man, there's a chance that a really good deer is going to be living. Yeah, no, I've, I've had some buddies say the exact same thing, and I've seen it too. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm curious. You know, when do you you? Because a lot of people will stop their summer scouting. Like you know, a lot of people don't summer scout at all, and I'm I'm yeah. slightly guilty of that. It's like I'll do my trail camera stuff, and I'll kind of maybe finish up like the last bit of scouting of, of things I wanted to do, or maybe even places that I've never hunted before that I may or may not even hunt it this year, but I'm going to walk through it. And eh, if it's late, if it's late and I bump some deer around, like I'm not too worried about it. Cause I really wasn't intending to hunt it anyway. Right. Where do you kind of stand on that? Cause it sounds like you still like to kind of get in there and mix it up into the summer in, in terms of just kind of, you know, doing, doing some summer scouting. So do you have like a cutoff point where you're like, Look, if I know a deer is around, I'm not going in past this date. Uh, not, not really. As long as I can, if I can go and scout it without that deer knowing that I'm there. So if I can like long distance glass it, mm. then basically, you know, no, no bars, you know, you know, no holding back on, you know, going to watch that deer. If it is, you know, somewhere where it's like. I have to bump, you know, this field, this field, and this field just to get back to that field. And I already know that it's soybeans and all I'm doing is, you know, hurting, uh, you know, the rest of the area by just going to try to scout it. Mm -hmm. Then I'm probably not going to go there as much. Um, As far as like time of the time of the year, I mean, I, I would say, you know, for most guys, you know, looking at, you know, summer deer, it, your most relevant information is probably going to be anywhere, you know, from August 1st, you know, up, up until September the 15th. Right. Um, I will go, I'll go and start scouting. Well, I, I say scouting. It's more like look, just looking at deer. Right. Um, just, just because that's what I, I enjoy doing. Um, but like from June the 15th to August the 15th, it, there's some stake that you can put into what you see, but I definitely wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't bet the farm on it, you know? Right. Right. Well, I mean, there's still value in, you know, I, I like what I'm like, kind of what you're saying. Cause like, you just like to, I just like to look at deer till, you know right. what I mean? Like even whenever <laughs> I have does approach me when I'm in a tree, it's like, I still get excited. I just like to watch deer. Yeah. And, 
in uh, the long range glassing that you're kind of doing. I've talked to Tony Peterson about this in the past, and like he loves that kind of stuff because it's uh-huh. low impact. And if nothing else, so even if the information is not relevant to try to you know help you kill a particular deer per se, the observation yeah. of of how they interact and just deer behavior in general and learning kind of their mannerisms and stuff like that, I think is, I mean, how many times do you see a deer in a tree? It's say like three years ago when you had your handful of years ago when you had your recurve (laughs) and, uh, and you were, you know, screwing up all the stuff on the ground and stuff. It's like, how much did you pick up just from watching deer behavior, knowing when one's on edge versus when one is calm, when one's knows there's something's up, when one just has not, not a clue, you know, you start to kind of see those little things that kind of, help you figure out when do I move? When do I draw? When do I move around the tree? Like all those small little things, like they don't just happen automatically. Those are things you have to learn over time. Right. For sure. Um, dang it. it I forgot. You said something right before that and I was going to comment on it. What was it again? Uh, I was, I was saying just like, you know, the, the, the trials and tribulations you had whenever you were hunting with the recurve and just picking up on deer mannerisms and understanding when they're calm and, you know, things of that nature that help you, you know, figure out when to pick your bow up, when to, when to shoot, when to draw, you know, to know when you have a calm deer to kind of, to execute the shot versus, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of steps that happen between seed deer and kill deer and they don't all just happen naturally as I guess is what I was saying. Right. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that. I guess that's a, that's all I had to say there is you hit that one right on the, right on the head. Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, I'm not right very often, man. So I'm gonna put that one in the book. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so are you, do you, do you typically chase a single deer or are you more, I, I'm just trying to find a good deer in the, in the area. And then I'm going to go after whatever deer I, you know, whatever deer I find that are good. And so one year it might be, I'm going after a single deer because that's the only deer that tickles my fancy this year. Or it might be, mm-hmm. yeah, I've got three or four deer that I found that are really, really good that I'll, I'll, I'll kill any one of the three or four that if I see them. Right. Um, so I'm trying out the whole hunting a single, single deer thing. This is, um, I, I've, I've killed some deer before in the past, like, you know, specific deer in the past, but it's been like, I see them like, you know, Friday and then I kill them Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, there hasn't, there hasn't ever been a time where I'm like, um, you know, I, I see a deer, you know, in the, in the summer and I go in and hunt them, you know, in the fall and, and I kill them. That's, that's never happened. That's what I'm trying to do. Right. Um, so like last year, um, really any deer that's 140 plus it, 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 it trips my trigger, right. you know, and, and I, I haven't, I haven't killed a whole bunch of those, of those kind of deer. So like, you know, a, a, and the reason I kind of settled in on, on 140 is cause I, I want to kill like a four and a half, you know, year old buck or older. Yeah. And in my, in my opinion, a average buck, you know, here in Missouri, whenever they get to four and a half years old, they're probably going to be 140, you know, somewhere yeah. around that range. And that's the, that's the kind of deer that, that I, that I like to kill. Yeah. So like in my, in my Illinois hunt, uh, last year, late season, like I'm going around, I'm scouting, you know, uh, cornfields and soybean fields, you know, on the edges. And I'm looking, I'm looking for a big track, you know, something that, you know, is telling me that there's a four year old plus deer in this, in this area, mm-hmm. you know, beyond that, you know, four, four year old, you know, type deer, what they have on top of their head. That's, that's as of right now a little less important mm-hmm. to me 
you know, the buck that I did end up shooting, he was broke up pretty bad, but you know, Hey, first out of state deer, you know, four year old, you know, public land buck in January. I'll take that. Yeah. All day, dude. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think when I go out of state, Pennsylvania for me, I'm usually three and a half or older, just, you know, it can be sometimes difficult to find some four and a half year olds around here just with the, with the pressure and stuff, at least in this part of the state, I shouldn't right. say this part of the state locally to me, I guess is, you know, what I'm, what I'm referring um, to. And usually I can find, you know, one, maybe two that are three and a half, four and a half year, years old. Now, when I go to the Northern part of the state, it kind of goes, goes up to like four and a half because uh, there is just a lot more land up there. It's a lot more sparsely populated so and there are plenty of hidey holes for deer to find that they can get get some age on them now don't get me wrong i see a good three and a half year old up there and has has all the things that get me excited he's going to get carbon flung at him yeah i don't want (laughs) to i'm not going to tell any tales out of school here um (laughs) but i think that you know agreed you know when i've hunted iowa or missouri or kansas it's like yeah if you're targeting four-year-old deer that's it's going to be a good buck in those states you know what i mean um for sure so I'm curious, man, and then I want to jump into the hunts that you had last year, but the last, mm-hmm. last kind of question on your approach is when you're, you've mentioned glassing a couple times. And yeah. so I'm just curious. Cause I think whenever I think of glassing, or I think when a lot of people think of glass, they think kind of like from the truck, low impact kind of glassing, mm-hmm. like, is that a lot of what you're doing or are you having to kind of get in environment if you will, you know, or maybe even sometimes in a tree, get a little height so you can see what, so what type of glassing are you doing? Is it all truck glassing or do you have to mix it up a little bit? I mean, it's, it's all the above. Like, I mean, <clears throat> I'm kind of lazy. So if I can glass them from the truck, I'm going to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. um, but, um, if you know, there's, you know, there's a couple different places that I'm thinking of, you know, off the top of my head, if you try to glass it from the truck, then you're, you know, not getting any information. So I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever, you know, whatever's necessary, you know, to get the information that I'm looking for. Right. Um, Elevation's always going to help with your. It, I, I say always, m- most of the time, elevation's going to help. Right. Whether that be standing on top of your truck, whether that be you know getting you know way up in a tree, you know mm-hmm. up on a hill or or, or something. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever, whatever you need to do to get that information. Right. Yeah. Without, as you mentioned earlier, you know, it's like if you got to bump through a bunch of stuff and damage stuff to get there, it may not be worth it. So it's always that that balance of getting the intel you need without, you know, with leaving as uh, little impact as you, as you possibly can, I guess. Right. And I mean, like some of those, some of those areas, like you, you absolutely, like you have to get in there, you have to walk Mm -hmm. in order to see what you need to see. A lot of these areas that I hunt, um, there is, you know, designated, you know, walking trails or or service roads or something. So if there's somewhere that I have to, that I have to get into, and I know I'm going to be, you know, disturbing deer, then I'm going to choose to leave my scent somewhere where they are, you know, naturally, you know, used to human or human odor being. Right. And that's where the deer are going to tolerate my, my scent being. Right. I am, I'm not really one to like this time of year, like I'm not going to go out on a big, you know, boots on the ground, you know, scouting session right Uh, that's the kind of stuff i do in the in the springtime right same here man like my my motto is 
there's a, there's a place or two that I, that I can glass and I like to do it. One of the places I can't even hunt to your point. I just like to go watch deer. So sometimes Friday after work, you know, I'll take, it's not far from my house. So I can take, take like a beer or two and sit on the bed of my truck with a spotting scope and just sit and watch deer. You know, it's kind of fun Mm -hmm. on a Friday night. Um, there is, there is one spot that I can act that I am able to hunt close to that. I will, um, that I will, uh, glass as well, but I'm kind of like you, man. Most of my stuff is done in, in winter and spring. Um, cause if I'm being honest, I hate, I hate walking through the woods in the summer, like yeah, the cobwebs all over my face. It's, it's hot. It's disgusting. You know, it's like, if I can stay out, I do. <laughs> and right. just, it just, like, go ahead. I, I mean, it's like what, you know, you have to think like what, you know, what are you gaining by walking, you know, by walking through the woods at this, at this time of year, you know, if you're going in and you're checking, you know, some white oak trees or something right. to see if they have acorns on them. Sure. You know, you're, you're going to need to do that. Yeah. Um, I would rather do that September 15th, but that, that, right. that's just me. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I, I will do that whenever I check trail cameras, I kind of do a twofer, you know, yeah. I kind of take a route through the areas where I'm like, all right, these are some areas that I know that I'm, I'm going to want to check out, you know, either it's historically I've found sign there or I've had encounters or whatever the case is. And I just kind of go see what the acorn crop is looking like, you know what I mean? Take my binos yeah. and just, and peep them and know, you know, what's going to drop and what's not going to drop. And then, right. you know, and then you just wait and see if you get a big windstorm early or something like that, that drops them early, or if they're going to hold on to whenever they typically have dropped in the past, you know, and then you yep. just, you just play the waiting game at, at that point. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Before we move into your hunts, man, I, I forgot to ask you this earlier and it just dawned on me as we were kind of talking about this. So when, when you go, like, what does a, a J setup look like in a tree? Like, what are you kind of looking for, for your kind of, like your kill spot, if you will. Right. It's like, so you find an area that say where this deer is that you, that you're looking for this year. And you're Uh like, and you're like, you know, let's say it's not, let's say it's not CRP just for the sake of this, this kind of example. And you find a a chunk of timber where you're like, yeah, man, this is, he's spending time in here and I know it. And now, you know, you know, anyone who's done this for any length of time, it's like, you know, it's not just finding the spot. It's finding the spot within the spot that you're going to have that, you know, 15 yard encounter, you know, or closer, right. How do you, how are you identifying what that, what that spot is? You know, I'll just give you an example for me. I'm a big, like, I I like hunting in and around scrapes. That's kind of like one Mm -hmm. of the things I prioritize. So a lot of my setups will be in and around scrapes. Doesn't mean I won't hunt a rub line or hunt radar, you know, outside of a bed or whatever, but that's usually like kind of my go-to because I know how to hunt it and mm-hmm. I, I'm effective at it. Right. So I'm just curious with you, like, what is your, what does a Jace kind of uh, kill spots look like? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, like the first thing that I'm thinking of in there is where, you know, where, where can I get close? And, you know, that is like what in this area, like of any like focal points of where I'm trying to target where this deer, where, you know, maybe moving through or, entering exiting you know hitting a scrape or whatever you know what what is that that i'm trying to you know zero in on um the second thing is going to be you know the wind whenever i whenever i go into some into somewhere it's like okay what what wind can i hunt this on you know what what wind can i not from there it's going to be okay like what what's what's my focal point of what what I'm going to be, you know, targeting. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a scrape? Is it going to be a trail? You know, mm-hmm. is it a, is it an acorn tree? You know, is it, whatever it is mm-hmm. from there, 
and after I've determined what what kind of wind I can I can get away with in there, I am going to seek out a tree where and you know I can make quite a few trees you know work for this, but I I'm going to seek out a tree to where I can sit my stand in a position to where I am shooting this focal point, you know, from a seated position, hmm. ideally about, you know, 15 yards. Right. Um, I don't like to get them out too far. You know, I, I like things, you know, up close and up close and personal. Yeah. So I set up my tree stand, um, you know, everything's, you know, off my left side, you know, I'm, I'm right-handed. Yep. So that way, whenever, you know, a deer does come in, you know, close and things are touchy, um, I don't have to stand up. All I have to do is is grab my bow, which I I don't know if many people use this. You know, I, I see a lot of guys, you know, they have a, you know, a bow hanger up on the up on the side of the tree. And, you know, they reach way up and around and grab their bow and then, you know, bring it, you know, bring it down to them. I, I'm not quite like that. So on the on the old lone, lone wolf assault two stands, I have this bow holder in the middle of the stand. Yeah. And I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've modified i have a, a custom gear 1.0 now that i've modified to fit my matthews and i use that that same thing oh nice yeah so that's that's kind of a jace setup very very up close very personal very very specific on what i am choosing to um to cover right. um if i can cover like two things i will but you know, from those recurve days, I really, really learned the importance of choosing, you know, one thing. Yeah. And if something comes through there, I got it. Yeah. But if I'm wrong, <laughs> yeah. then, you know, it's, it's bad. But that's how I go about things. Right. No. And that that's one of the things I think, I think there's two of the hardest things I think for, you know, either younger or newer bow hunters, I think, to, to figure out and get comfortable with is, one kind of playing the wind, right? It's like until you really understand uh, how the wind and thermals kind of work together and what that's mm-hmm. going to do where you're hunting, it's it. you almost feel like you don't know what you're doing. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and, and part of that too is, is learning that if it's a good deer and it's got some age on him and, you know, is, you know, is that some, at some point you got to get comfortable giving that deer a portion of the wind. Like you got to, yes. you got to be willing to be risky and have a hunt blown up. Cause that's really the only way you're going to, you're, you're going to, um, going to fool him. And then the second right. one is exactly what you said is that if you're covering both things, you're likely not cover, covering either in a lot of cases, you know, right. you know what I mean? It's like, and you got to get good with just like trusting your Intel and going, I know what this deer is supposed to do and he's going to come through here and just, yep. and, and, and know that and, and believe it, you know, and if it mm-hmm. doesn't, then it wasn't meant to be, um, right. you know, but so how high are you cl- how high are you climbing? I'm always curious how how much height guys are want to want to get. Uh anywhere from I I carry two sticks okay. uh with two um cableators. So I'm averaging somewhere in between 10 and 12 feet. Yeah. Um that's that's where I'm hunting at. Yeah. And that's that's typically probably right around you know where I like I mean where I like to be. It, you know, it depends mm-hmm. on Depends on the tree. Um, I use a one. I use one stick to climb, so I can get up to. I have thirty foot rappel ropes. So I can get up to thirty foot if I need to. But a yeah. lot of times, I find myself 
covering, like getting right about to that 10 to 12 foot mark too. I usually just try to get to like first cover. Yeah. Is, is what yep. I want to get to. Unless I'm on like, you know, unless I'm on like a ridge side or something like that. And I want to get up above like the deer sight line and stuff like that. Then I need to cut, you know, get, right. get higher. But by and yes. large, you know, I, I feel good at that 10 to 12 mark too. I feel like it's a sweet spot for getting to first cover and it doesn't make the shot angle so shitty either. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, I've, I've hunted a little bit at 20 feet and man, I got picked off a bunch hunting up at 20 feet. Really? That was just, yeah. That was just me personally. It's like, there's this, there's this like dead zone in like a deer's vision. And, and I mean, I can explain that a little bit if you want me to. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're just, let's say there's just a flat woods mm-hmm. and all the trees, all the trees are bare. You know, they're, and they're all like, you know, 30, 40, 50 feet, you know, trees, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you, if you're just looking straight out, you're, there's going to be, you know, quite a bit of uh, skyline that you could see just, you know, in the, you know, six to eight feet, you know, above the forest floor. Mm-hmm. And then if you look up in the air, then you see, you know, more, you know, daylight behind the trees, you know, as you're looking, as you're looking up, if that makes sense. Yeah. But if you're looking right in between those two zones, you're looking into the trees and into the tops of the other trees that are behind it until you get to a certain, to a certain range, which is really, really close and in which you have to like, actually like look up in order to get a, you know, a skyline on something that's, you know, like around that 12 to, you know, 12 foot mark, let's call it. Right. And sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Keep going. Yeah. So I, I personally haven't experienced like deer, like, you know, looking up in, in trees and, you know, trying to, trying to find hunters, but man, like, you know, like like I said, whenever, whenever I, I feel like whenever I'm up at 20 feet, I feel like I'm just out there in like midair, you know, just kind of, kind of like a sitting duck, you know, just skyline, you know, from every, from every angle on, on rather flat ground, you know, that is like you said, you know, you get into hill, hill country, you definitely don't want to be on that same, you know, line of elevation, you know, with those deer, um, you know, you want to be above that. Right. Yeah. Not that. Yeah. That's interesting, man. I feel like I've talked to, um, I feel like I've talked to Cody about that. I think I almost feel like he's mentioned something like that in the past too. Cause yeah, I know he has. has he, cause I couldn't, mm-hmm. cause I know he likes to hunt low, you know what I mean? Right. Like he just, you know, he prefers to hunt, hunt, you know, six foot, eight foot, 10 foot, you know, whatever, whatever the case is. And I feel like he and I chatted about, I can't remember if we talked about it on a podcast or if it was just one, one day at a trade show somewhere we were, we were talking about it, but mm-hmm. I probably subconsciously picked it up from talking to him to be quite honest yeah. and started and started implementing it. But, uh, man, uh, so I've teased it a couple times now, this, this three tag year <laughs> that you had, we're going to just go ahead and, and, and jump into it here. Um, so, so tell me what was it? It was Missouri, Illinois, and it was it to Missouri or was it, what were the States two, again? Two, two Missouri. Um, and then one in Illinois. Okay. So it was one on September the 22nd, one in uh one on november the 12th which was missouri's opening day rifle season mm-hmm. um i shot that one with a bow it was the first time i've ever taken the bow out during rifle season oh wow 
Nice. Uh, that was pretty cool. That's a, and then, that's a feat in itself, there, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty neat. I, I've never quite had the uh, uh, the gall to to try that one out because I've. <laughs> I just always had that fear. It's like, gosh, damn it. Right. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> There's exactly. going to be one just out of range. Exactly. Um, but then the third one was January the 3rd, I believe. Nice. Yeah. So that first one, let's let's talk through that that first one. When, what was the date on that one again? September the 22nd. Okay, so that's pretty – What time, when did your season come in? The 15th. The 15th. Okay. So what was that? Walk me through that hunt. So is is this a deer that you knew of, found, or was it uh, a deer that you just kind of located as you were hunting and scouting in that early part of the year? It it was a deer that I just, he was in the area. So that, that big deer I was talking about that I watched for, you know, months on months on end. And then he vanished on me. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say what one good thing you can get out of just watching an area is even though the particular deer in that area, they may, you know, move off and, you know, new ones may come in. They'll use that area in, you know, pretty similar ways. Right. So you can still gain information about that area, even though it's not about that deer. Right. Um, So there was, after that big one had left, there was two in here that I knew that I would shoot. Uh, one was like a, you know, high one thirties, eight pointer. And then, you know, this deer that I end up shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew they were, they were in, they were in this area and I was like, all right, you know, I've already, I've spent a whole bunch of time here. You know, I know what the deer in this area are doing in general. And, you know, this is where I'm, this is where I'm going to hunt. So, the opener gets, you know, gets here and I pull up to that spot, um, to this, this little area and it's not very big. It's maybe, oh, maybe a 20 or 30 acre area. And at one of the main parking lots, there's a guy already sitting there at two o'clock in the morning. He's <laughs> sleeping. Um, so I pull up and my headlights shine his truck and, and uh, he, you know, jumps out of his truck and, you know, starts to get starts to get ready i'm like all right you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna let this guy you know have it you know i'm I'm, i don't want to really you know mess up his hunt and you all come back here here in a couple days and that's something i've seen consistent as well if like early season you know there's going to be quite a few hunters out there you know for the first couple days of season you know Mm -hmm. guys are taking off you know vacation they're hitting their openers you know everybody's fired up yeah but after a couple days, all that pressure, you know, died, you know, dies off. So what my plan was kind of, kind of here was I was going to go hunt some, some other stuff that I was semi familiar with and just kind of let things cool down. And whenever this guy in there, because he was hunting it in a complete wrong way. And I knew it was good. I knew it was going to move these deer. I just didn't know where. Right. And so I was like, all right, after this guy moves out, I'm going to come back in and I'm going to locate, you know, where these, you know, bucks have moved to. So a couple days go, go by. Um, I had a family emergency that, you know, I had to be away for, for a couple days and I came back and I had the whole thing myself. So what, so looking at kind of the, the weather for the next, you know, couple days is I saw I had uh, two south winds and then two north winds. 
And so I was like, all right, so there's two ends of this, this area that I can get up in a tree and glass from. Hmm. I was like, all right, so these two south winds is I'm going to go, I'm going to get a start on the you know west end here for this south wind tomorrow night. I'm going to go to the other end to watch that on a south. And then when the wind changes north, I'm going to go back to where I started on north and then go to the other spot on north. And that was kind of my plan. Hmm. I don't know if that would have worked, but. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me, man. I I was following. (laughs) Um, So the first night, um, observation set, saw nothing. Hmm. So I'm like, okay, you know, moving on with the plan go to the other end, you know, on a south wind, and I see this, you know, this eight-pointer that's in there. And, you know, again, they're in a place where there's, like, basically no trees, and it's just CRP, you know, kind of what you were talking about. Right. You know, big big bucks being, like, where there's no trees or really, really small ones. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm like, okay. I saw that buck in the area, but I really didn't have a good idea where exactly I needed to be in order to make an aggressive move. So the next night we have a north wind, and just because of how the spot laid out, a north wind allowed me to cut the distance by about 300 yards and get about you know 100 to 150 yards away from these deer um you know in in this bedding area without me disturbing them right and so that night i watched that that eight pointer and a couple other bucks there's a couple small trees right up against um this crp patch and they're feeding on something right along the edge of it and i'm like all right i got you now (laughs) because i had the same wind or i had a another north wind the the next night so the next night I get off work and I charge in there and sorry, not to make this story kind of short. Um, but I get in there and I get in this really small tree of about, you know, 10 feet up off the ground and, you know, the evening's progressing and I don't see, I don't see anything, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then about 15 minutes before dark, I look up and on the downwind side of uh, like a big, you know, bush, I watch this buck that I end up shooting. He stands up, him and another little buck, about, you know, 80, you know, 80 or so yards away from me. And so I'm kind of, I can only really see this deer's head and like the top of his antlers. And I'm like, I'm like, man, I bet these deer, I bet they're going to try to downwind this tree line and then they'll they'll probably come right up it and feed in the same spot that you know the other bucks were the the night before right and i'm watching them they're they're hooking around and all i can see is the is the little buck at that point i I don't see the the one i end up shooting anymore and i see the little one he's like you know 25 yards off at the end of this little tree line and then he enters the tree line that I'm in and I can hear something walking. I'm like, Oh, it's that, it's that buck. And I look up and I'm like, Oh crap. It's that deer. And he's a 20. yards." 
And so my, and my whole plan of, I was going to, I was set up in the, you know, same way that I do, you know, I'm going to shoot off my left side, um, you know, to where I don't have to stand up. I don't have to do anything, you know, in order to get a shot off on this deer. That plan went completely out the window because he was coming um, a lot closer to my tree. He was going to end up at about three steps off my right side. Oh, geez. So this deer is at 20 yards coming in and he's stopping a little bit. He rubs a couple trees on his way, on his way in. And I guess one thing, one thing I always do whenever I get up in the tree is even though I'm, I'm planning on taking, you know, the shot that I'm you know setting up for, I will look 360 degrees around the tree and identify all of the shooting lanes that I have. And I'll even take an extra step and I'll even put my glass on the, you know, my binoculars mm -hmm. on those spots just to make sure they are actually clear because there's sometimes that there's a branch in, you know, one of those shooting lanes that you would have, you know, otherwise not seen. Yeah. And so that happened with this one is I knew from the trail he was on, which is a really faint trail, um, that he was, you know, going to be, you know, coming in really, really close and I always carry milkweed with me. And <clears throat> I had a really good idea of like, where do I need to shoot this deer before he gets my scent mm -hmm. and the shooting lane that that left me for that opportunity was not that great. <laughs> <laughs> so while so this deer is at 20 yards, I stand up, I get turned, he's coming in and at five yards I shoot and I'm trying to self film this whole thing. And my camera arm goes swinging off to the side and you know, I'm shooting a lighted knock and I just see the knock just like bury into his guts oh, man. and he goes running past me. Um, and you know, to make a long story short there, he, he had only gone like 40 yards, but I waited till the next morning, right. uh, you know, to go get him. So nice. that's how that September hunt went. Nice. So did you get it on film? Um, I got the deer coming in and then just as he's walking off of the screen, all you see is a flash of green and a sound and then that's it. No, I destroyed my camera. <laughs> and you destroyed your camera. <laughs> yeah, I just absolutely destroyed it. Uh, First geez. time I've ever tried self-filming and that's how that went. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm familiar with that's usually how all mine go when I self-film. It, it cost me a, a good buck in in Iowa, which I never took it on another hunt during that trip. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was early September early, I guess, late September, early season. So, yeah. uh, what, what was that? That was a eight point you said, uh, that was a typical seven by four, seven by four. Uh, okay. Yeah. Seven by four. So he was the second deer and I'd only ever seen that deer twice. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Area. I saw pictures of that deer. That's a hammer dude. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a nice deer. Um, so that was, that was that one. Nice. And so then the next one was in November, you said? Yes. And that was so, with a bow during your gun season. Yes. So let's see. So this hunt, um, actually it, it, it kind of starts in like 2012 when I was, wherever I was hunting another deer in there. Hmm. Um, so what I had, what I had found out from 
this year that I was hunting there in 2012 was there's a scrape on top of a certain ridge. And whenever that scrape is opened up around November the 10th, that means that there is a, to me, this is what this means. That means that there's a buck that's moved in there that is using that as his area to bring does to breed them. Um, so let's see, it was like November. The It was like a couple days for rifle season. My dad and my brother in there, they're like, Hey, this, you know, this scrapes opened up and I'm like, I'm like, awesome. You know, how do I, <laughs> you know, how, how, how am I going to hunt this deer, you know, with, with a bow? So there's two options in my head. It's either a, he's with a doe or B he's not with a doe. And there's only usually how we hunt this is the bedding area is down in this thick, nasty draw. And we get them like coming up out of it or just like skirting the edge of it, like way down low. Mm -hmm. And in hill country, whenever you're trying to get deer close, hunting low is not not the greatest idea for yeah. for me. Yeah. There's certain spots that you can figure out, but um, so I was like, okay, I know that if he's with a doe, we've seen that buck I was hunting in 2012. He took this one route that is going perpendicular on this ridge about a hundred yards down from this scrape. Um, he's crossing from one, one holler going into where we usually hunt. We saw him do that a couple times. Mm -hmm. And I've seen bucks in that same area that if they don't have a doe and they're cruising, they will go and uh, cruise parallel with this ridge it, parallel or just right on top of the ridge. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, all right, you know, I have a bow and, you know, like I was saying earlier, I try to, I try to choose something that's, you know, very, very specific, you know, for me to hone in on. And so I'm like, I'm like, okay. So in this particular instance, I can actually cover two of these situations that are going to happen. And I was thinking about this a couple of days before, you know, season started, whenever, you know, my, uh, my family told me about that sign and, I was like, I was like, man, but I need a, I need a Northwest wind in order for me to really make that setup work. And I looked on the weather channel and lo and behold, it was a Northwest wind. <laughs> how, often does that, like, how often does that happen when you get the actual never. wind? You need? Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> never. So I was like, I was like, oh, he's done. Like, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna get him. <laughs> um, you know, whether he has a doe or whether he doesn't have a doe, I'm gonna get him either cruising or, you know, crossing somewhere or, you know, crossing this ridge, you know, with this, with this doe. Mm -hmm. That's just what I had in my, in my head. Um, and, you know, the important thing was, I, you know, I really, really believed in that. You know, I didn't, I didn't second guess myself, you know, going in there. Mm -hmm. But I, I didn't have the exact spot uh, or like the exact tree picked out in my head that I wanted to hunt because I've never hunted that area in that way before. I've never hunted it with a bow. Right. And so I kind of had to, you know, rethink things. So I have all that, all that information and what I think is going to, it's going to happen. And so opening morning rifle season, you know, it comes, it comes up and 
this is something I do. I, I wouldn't suggest this for everybody, but I can get up in a tree really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because I'm just using two sticks. Right. But I've been on a lot of morning hunts where I will go in there in the dark. I will try to pick out a tree in the dark and then daylight comes around and I'm not in the spot that I am supposed to be in. And then I'm left, I'm left with a tough situation there. It's like, okay, do I take this time? This very, very, you know, important time, you know, first thing in the morning to get down and go look for the tree. I need to be up, you know, that I need to be in and then climb up it. Or do I just stick it out here? I hate being in that situation. It's it's so, the worst, man, because it's like you feel like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, right? Because you you're are. like you're like, man, if I get down, I'm gonna, I might make noise. I'm gonna lay down more ground. I'm gonna lay down more ground scent. There's always the possibility that deer are on their way in, and I spook them yep. as they're as they're coming in. And then the opposite side of that is, as I stay in this tree, and I am ten yards out of the game. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I, I absolutely hate being, you know, putting myself in that situation, you know, ideally, you know, you, you know, ideally you, you already have like, you know, a tree set up, you know, it's like, okay, this is the tree I've hunted before, you know, everything's, you know, good to go. I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. And then you, you know, you can slide in before daylight and be fine. But for when I don't know exactly what tree I'm going to be in, I I waited around the general zone that I knew I wanted to be in. I waited on daylight so mm. I could actually see what the hell was going on in there. Dude, 100%, man. Like there's a you know I'll I'll hunt, you know, areas especially when I'm out of state that I may never have even been able to to scout before. You know, just because right. like for example, like Iowa you know, the area that I was hunting in Iowa, I went out and did some shed hunting, but the place I ended up hunting wasn't even the place that I was shed hunting. So I had no clue of any, you know, of anything in there. And every day was just basically show up, scout, find sign, hunt it. That was, you know, yep. every day went rinse, repeat. And, mm-hmm. you know, I took a page out of John Eberhardt's book where it's like on those days where I was just kind of freestyle hunting or freelance hunting, like I would mm-hmm. always... I would go even a step further. I wouldn't even walk into the timber until I started having just a little bit of gray light so I could see. So I wasn't blowing deer completely out. And I agree with you, man. And I think there's some value in just kind of getting to your spot and taking it in a little bit too. It's something that I've kind of picked up from, from Jake Bush. I know he's big on that where he'll Mm -hmm. walk into a spot, you know, even if he's walking in for an evening hunt and he can see, he'll just stop and listen and wait for like 20 minutes before yep. he even climbs to listen to just pay attention to what's going on in the woods before he makes his decision. Right. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I, you know, that's exactly what I did here. So daylight, you know, came around and I'm looking up in the trees and I'm like, I'm like, you know, it's just barely gray. Light. I'm like, all right, that tree right there, that's why I need to get in. So I go up to it. I, you know, I climb it, get all my stuff set up. You know, which, like I said, is you know pretty quick. If it took me like a half an hour to get a tree stand set up, I probably wouldn't try this. Right. Um, I've, I've had some close calls, believe you me, <laughs> um, doing this. But I get up in my tree and I get everything set up. I sit down in my tree stand and I'm just you know wearing a traditional uh, you know tree stand harness. 
mm-hmm. and my tether's a little too a little too tight. So I sit down. It's a little too tight. I reach up to you know slide my uh, uh, my tether down or what you know whatever you want to call it just a little bit and i literally reach up and i hear this butt grunt (laughs) on on the exact path that i'm expecting him to come if he does have a doe (laughs) and i look and i see a doe and i see this buck right behind her and i'm like i'm like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) um and he he brings that doe right up to me and you know there's this shooting lane that i had that i had looked at you know before this i'd already glassed it and this doe walks through the shooting lane at 27 yards i i range the doe and i guess that's also something that i that i also do if i think it's a step over 25 i'm getting a range on it yeah and i i really don't you know that's i don't like guesswork in anything that i do yeah so the doe walks through at 27 and then the buck walks through just a couple, couple steps, you know, further away than what she did. And he just stops on his own perfectly in the middle of that shooting lane. I put my 30 yard pin on him and rip him, and he goes 40 yards and he's down. And within the first 10 minutes of, you know, daylight, I, you know, I have a buck on the ground. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's awesome. What was, what was he? Uh, he was a 137 and a half inch nine pointer. Nice. And what was the first, what was the first one? Uh, 138. 138. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't beat that dude. So then as if that wasn't good enough, hmm. you, you know, someone says, Hey, you can't kill a deer in late season on public in Illinois. And, and you say, hold my beer. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually I had, so that was that, that buck is my first buck i've ever killed with my bow in november oh really um, yeah first one ever wow. i just I, I i am not that good of a november hunter I, it just you know i i like things that you know on pattern you know things i can track you know things i can measure um you like to have be able to yeah you like to kind of can be able to have the control like you know what's right what's yeah going I, on. I like to have control and even though i might have some control and you know in november during the rut it it honestly just kind of breaks my brain because there's always the factor of oh well he might be 10 miles this way right right but however however i just did a podcast with the guys from msu deer lab where they were looking at uh buck uh bucks bedding right yeah october versus november and they're actually more consistent in november Really? Yeah. And it, it blew, it, it blew my mind. Like he said a lot of things in, in, in uh, the course of that podcast that kind of flies in the face of the conventional wisdom that we hold as hunters about bucks and their betting habits. Um, right. Interesting thing is they're doing some additional studies cause this was kind of like data they already had that they just kind of went through and, and looked for the trends. Um, yeah. and so now with that, they have a bunch of other questions they want to try to answer. So they're doing another study. Um, right. that should answer some of the, like the, the finer detailed questions, but because that's kind of like the, uh, I don't want to say misconception, but that's kind of the idea everybody has This buck could be two miles away and he very well could be, you know, right. but if you can find one, I guess it's maybe more appropriately to say, if you can find one in November and you mm. around rut, the chances are he's going to kind of, he's probably going to be within that area for a, for a period of time. 
Gotcha. Well, you know. I mean, that's going to be that that piece of information is going to be really helpful for me in the future because, you know, again, back to what we were talking about earlier about your about your buddy that just got to spend you know a whole year out there you know out you know in the you know watching animals and you know seeing what they do. Right. A, a lot of years, you know, I'm, you know, come November, you know, until you know the uh, you know the lockdown phase you know whatever missouri's rifle season is mm-hmm. my as far as my year goes like november the first through november the 15th that is the least amount of experience out in the woods that i have hmm. um wow and- so you know hearing something like that you know that's 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 great you know that gives me a little more you know hope for the future <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice. So now we're on to uh, we're on to Illinois. So how did that all? I mean, was that a planned hunt, or was that more of like I fill two tags, man? I'm going to go to another state. That was that was the way it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. So two years ago, I you know I uh, I tied into two you know pretty pretty good deer in Missouri, and I'm like I'm like man you know. I'm, I don't want to sit around, you know, I want to, I want to go out of state. It's like, well, where's the closest, you know, that's over the counter. It's like, well, Illinois, it's like, well, yeah, you know, a tag's expensive, but mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's another deer tag. So, um, <clears throat> so this was a, this was a planned thing. And I had some, I had some preconceived notions about what, what I wanted to do and what I wanted to find over there for late season based off of what I had seen the year before. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I did um, that I that I haven't done before is for three and a half days, I did not I did not get my bow out of my car. I didn't get my tree stand out of my car. I didn't do anything. I just went scouting. Hmm. And I just scouted and scouted and scouted for three and a half days until I found a a buck's track on the edge of a soybean field. Hmm. And this is actually the exact place where I ended off last year. Um, I say last year, two years ago. Right, right. Um, it, it was the exact area. So I had a, a, you know, a decent idea of what the deer in this area are, are going to do. So what I did is after those three and a half days scouting, I found that track and I'm like, okay, you know, there's a four and a half year old buck in this area. You know, now I'm going to start, you know, honing in on this. So that first evening I, I go in there and I try not to have any preconceived notions, but I can't help. My brain just works that way. You know, it's like, you know, it's trying to come up with all these, you know, conclusions of, you know, where a deer is and, you know, where they're going to come through. Right. It, you know, just my brain just kind of does that on its own. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was a cedar patch in next to a pond. And I'm like, I'm like, I bet you this buck is either in this patch right here, or he's in a patch like 200 yards back. And so, I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, send a hunt at this, you know, cedar patch, you know, with this pond around it and we'll, and we'll see what happens. So as I'm approaching this pond, um, I see two deer get up in that cedar, in that cedar tree patch and they just, and they go running off. I got a little bit, 
they got a little bit too close. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, they were not they were not target deer. But I'm like, okay. So I'm like, I'm like, why did I, why did I try to make such an aggressive move so quickly without having you know the some really you know real intimate you know uh, relevant information? Right. I'm I'm like, what the heck am I doing? I'm like, I need to get you know back to my own basics. So. I'm looking at this area and there's from this other bed and area that I know of, there's basically, there's two points that kind of go towards the food where I found this track. And it's maybe from the bed and area to the food, it's probably like 300 yards. And there's one point that a deer could come out of that bed and area and basically just go straight up it and basically make a beeline straight for the food. Mm -hmm. And the wind was in a way where the other point that was kind of, you know, headed in that direction. Also, the other point was a little more downwind. And so I'm like, okay, if I'm trying to think like a buck, I'm going to try to, you know, a mature deer, I'm going to try to win this area wide and you know try to you know you use my nose to my to my advantage and i'm like i'm like all right that's good and i'm also i'm gonna get in a spot to where i can see you know for sure see this other point to where if i see something over there they're not gonna get my wind but i'm gonna have you know, a really good visual sighting of the exact trail that these deer are walking and I can make an aggressive move the next night. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the tree I picked out is I made, I made very much so for sure that the, where I was that I could cover, um, you know, on, on coming deer, you know, I do the same thing. You know, I set up, you know, seated shot off my, off my left side you know, I look at all my shooting lanes and like I said, I'm up, I'm up kind of high on the point where I can see this other one. So the night kind of goes on. Um, I see, I don't know, probably like 15 does and five other bucks. They travel up this, this other point, just, just kind of like I had figured. And I'm like, I'm like, all right, you know, most of the deer are moving, you know, that, that way, just kind of, kind of how I would, how I would think they would. And then about 30 minutes before dark, I'm glassing over and out of this bed and area through the timber, I can see there's about a, you know, 130 inch eight pointer. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Hey, that's not too bad. Right. You know? And I see this deer, he kind of like looks off to his right and he's kind of like sidestepping, stepping over and into view comes this buck that i end up shooting i know there's a lot of spoiler alerts here but (laughs) (laughs) um i see that i see this buck and i'm like i'm like that's the deer i'm in here for and i see this one good side he's got a good you know g4 on him um you know looks like a 10 pointer i'm thinking you know mid you know 140 plus Mm -hmm. i'm like that's a that's a good deer i'm like i'm like sweet you know this deer is gonna walk up this other point and he's going to walk the same trail all these other deer did and I'm going to go kill him tomorrow night. I'm like, this deer's done. And I'm sitting there and he starts walking that direction and he, 
he turns around and he goes like back towards the bedding area. And I'm like, like, what the heck is this all about? I'm sitting there for a couple minutes and I'm like, I'm like, is he, I was like, is he downwinding this whole area? And I look up and he's 50 yards walking (laughs) like right at me. I'm just like, I'm like, Oh my God, this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) And after, after what had happened, the, year before in Illinois late season, man, I just, I got worked over by these deer. <laughs> and so this was a, you know, this was a, you know, coming to be a pretty you know, special moment for me. So this deer's coming in and I look down and I see that he's busted, but I'm still like, you know what, you know, still, you know, I'm going to, you know, go ahead and shoot this thing. Right. And this one worked out, you know, perfectly the way I had laid it out. There's a trail coming by at 15 yards, and I had one about oh volleyball-sized hole that I could shoot through before this before this deer got my wind. And he's come along the trail, and he looks up and he he checks me, but you know it kind of goes back to you know I know when to move and when not to. Right. And from where he was, was downhill of me looking up at me, you know, on top of the, on top of this little point, I'm skylined. So if I would have been moving, he would have cracked me. Um, his head goes behind a tree and he walks at me for just a split second. And that was my opportunity to draw. I draw the bow and I follow him. He walks down the trail and his vitals get in that, you know, that volleyball size hole. And I shoot him at 15 yards. Nice. <laughs> uh, you got to love it when a plan comes together, man. Right. That's uh, that's awesome, dude. And it's a redemption story too, man, especially because like you were back in that same kind of general area. You got worked by the deer the year before, right? Uh-huh. That's, man, that's awesome, dude. And it's, man, that's, and that's tough sledding, dude. Late season. Like that's, that's hard hunting. Like, I don't yeah, know. Dude, I know. What, what's that? I said the deer really, really touchy during that, during that time of year. Touchy and they're, they don't, they don't move a whole lot and, and they don't move far from wherever they're, wherever they're laying their head and you know mm-hmm. they're, they're skittish. And I, I mean, I know one guy who loves hunting late season and he's good at it. Yeah. And that's the only dude I know who likes hunting late season. <laughs> I, I, so late season is my, is my favorite time of year. Really? So I was, I was telling a buddy about this it is for me, if you just look at it from like a, I'm going to say I'm not that great at math, but from just a math standpoint. So if I can find an area where there's food and then, you know, high stem count stuff, mm-hmm. it is it, as far as like September the 15th through, you know, throughout the end of the season, the deer are changing a whole whole lot throughout the whole year but whenever you get to like december the 15th through january the 15th in my opinion that is the longest time frame that you have of deer that are doing something similar which is a bed to food pattern right and the food that time year is really really limited so it you know it doesn't you know, you, you don't have to be a rocket science, you know, to find, you know, to find the food. I just, you know, I look for, you know, corn and soybeans, you know, that's right. what, that's what I look for. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I, I totally, I totally hear you. I think I, I like late season just because there's nobody else out. Usually, that's one of the things right. I like about it. You know, it's like I get I get a lot of places to myself because a lot of like the um, weekend warriors, if you will, are not coming out if the weather's cold or right. bad or whatever the mm-hmm. case is. You know, it's 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 locating them at least for me in Pennsylvania with as much pressure as we have around here. You know. It, it, actually finding where they're where they're at and then the areas that i hunt not having a ton of food so i'm still relying on food that's in the timber because there's not like a destination like field or anything anything like that so it's like you're really kind of looking for like ferns where they're rooting and stuff like that trying to root up you know or trying to dig up like the roots of ferns and bulbs and you know whatever browse that might be available and and stuff like that um yeah that's tough, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's but a buddy of ours, like, you know, uh, Johnny Stewart, man, like he's like he is is a wizard at it. He likes late yeah. season. He prefers mm-hmm. it, you know. Yep. But dude, well, how big what was uh, what was that guy? Uh he would have been uh like hundred and forty five if he was not broke. Right. Um uh, he ended up going I think it was one thirty three. Still, man. It's awesome awesome deer man that's three killer bucks in a, in a season dude so this mm-hmm. year we, what we we up in the ante we, we going for we, we we babe ruth in it and calling her shot uh yeah yeah we're going for we're going for four so the first thing i want i want in missouri is i want to experience that hunting a specific deer and you know going after them and and killing that one right that's that's something i want to experience so that's that's my first goal and then beyond that i'm still gonna you know hold my you know one you know i I say 140 standard they're all below 140 but you know in that range yeah um that's gonna be my standard for out of state and i'm gonna get at least four there you go man i like it when that happens i'll hit you up or you hit me up we'll do Mm -hmm. we'll do a another follow-up sesh to, to do a, a three buck or a four buck podcast. That'll be the first four buck podcast we've ever had. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, well, that's, <laughs> that's not true. I had Andy May on and I think he killed five that one year. Oh, well, come on. That's Andy May. <laughs> I know. Missouri country boy trying to make it. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, awesome, man. Hey dude, I got one last question for you before I let you get going. It's, it's one that I always like to, uh, always like to end on if you had to fill three public land tags and your life depended on it and you could mm-hmm. and you could pick anybody to hunt those tags living dead you know them you don't know them famous not famous whatever it is who would be the three people you would count on to fill those tags to save your life uh, well anyway one yeah Would it sound bad if I chose the second one as me? Uh, yeah, you can cho- you can choose yourself if you want. But the way I always look the way I always look at this is this is a basketball team and you're the coach. It's a three on three basketball team and you're the coach. I'm gonna go Andy May, Andre DiQuisto, and hmm, who would be the third one? You know, actually, the third one, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. You might have him on the podcast, but uh, he's a close friend of mine, uh, Hunter Hogan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Those are, uh, those are three fantastic. I think you're, I think you're safe, man. I think you'll be all right. 
<laughs> hey man, before I, before I let you get out of here, dude, why don't you let people know where they can follow you, where they can find out more about you, and just kind of check in with what you got going on this season? Sure. I uh, uh, my name is Jace Allen, J A C E A L L E N. You can just find me on Facebook. Uh, I have an Instagram uh, handle is Nature of the Beast. Um, I know that's a real special one to me, um, <laughs> but uh, I have a. Uh, that season that we just talked about, there's going to be a episode on whitetail addictions come out coming out in the near future. So um, keep on the lookout for that, and uh, we'll we'll keep on doing the the same thing this year. I I run a lot of stories, especially during shed season, on my Instagram. I think it's pretty cool. Some people seem to enjoy it. So yeah, hit me up. Awesome, brother. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, good luck this upcoming season, and let's uh, make sure we stay in touch. All right. Sounds good. I appreciate it, man. All right, folks. That is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all.